0: Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. We're slowly working our way through three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. In this episode, we're going to jump into the fourth Beatitude, and this is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now this is the part of the Beatitudes where the crowd is being challenged to go hard or go home. The hard or home outcome is based firmly in where they would direct their hunger once their lives have had some old appetites removed. The world as the first century Jews knew it had many methods available which would try to call the crowd home, as it were. There would be coercive calls to return to the folds they came from, calls to feed the hunger for things past. The way of the Roman sympathizers was one path of least resistance. The Pharisaic law was something like comfort food in that it was quite familiar. The temple and the priesthood gave something tangible to fix their sights on instead of focusing on an unseen kingdom. And there was the outright pagan way of the neighboring nations seeking to lead them astray as well. Up there in the less religious region of Galilee, this was also a very big option. But Jesus offers a very different sort of banquet. Instead of sin and its consequences, develop a new craving. Jesus says to hunger and thirst for something called righteousness. Now, biblical righteousness is spoken of in at least three key ways. First, righteousness was spoken of to some degree as a kind of legal position before God. The Jews were taught by the Pharisees to pursue this type of standing before God by following the Mosaic law. The tighter the law-keeping and the more stringent and disciplined they were in behavior and ritual, the more legally righteous they would be. And then perhaps that type of righteousness in a critical mass of the population would be the key to establishing the kingdom. But when we read passages like Romans chapter 9, we start to understand the shortcomings of this thinking. The Apostle Paul writes this in verses 30 to 32. The Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel, who pursued the law as a way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. The Pharisaic way involved a lot of work and a lot of good intentions, but their hunger was misdirected and costing them. It was work without trust. Action without faith attached to it. Meanwhile, we read that the Gentiles, that's a wide-ranging word that describes everyone outside of Judaism, including you and I. They, through faith, obtained this position before God through Christ. In other scripture, this is called imputed righteousness, or that which is credited to us. In the first century, one group of people pursued this with works and fell short. The other much larger group obtained it through faith and not their works. Now, it can be credibly said that the first three Beatitudes are the journey of obtaining this position. Consider the journey you were on as you came to faith in Christ. Hopefully, we came to a realization that our religious works don't stack up. Our good, in fact, does not outweigh the bad. And despite all we bring to the table, we in and of ourselves are spiritually impoverished. This is a good realization to come to, and the first beatitude speaks deeply into this. Then, we hopefully mourned our state as the second beatitude calls us to. And we hopefully emptied ourselves of our power through the third beatitude calling for meekness. The promise in all that is that the kingdom belongs as an inheritance to people like that. How can any of this be if righteousness is not a factor? Through these first three Beatitudes, the legal transfer from unrighteous to righteous has been accomplished. Then, building on that, righteousness was also spoken of as a moral way of life under God. This idea of righteousness speaks of the character and conduct of a person that would please God. This, of course, had many expressions in the Old Testament. We see this as various kings were spoken of. There were righteous ones who did right in the sight of God, and there were evil ones. There were celebrated righteous men, such as Enoch, who walked faithfully for 365 years, and then God took him from the earth. There was Noah, there was David and others, and of course there was Job, who the Lord points to as an upright and blameless man because of his righteous lifestyle. And a hunger for righteousness in the way Jesus describes it is mainly to do with this. It's a craving to live righteously, to develop an overwhelming appetite to live the right way under God. However, we must understand we don't find salvation because we live this way. We live this way because Jesus saved us. We've entered the kingdom, and that puts us in the perfect environment for complete wholesale change inside and out. One amazing theologian, R.T. Kendall, defines the kingdom of heaven as the realm of the unhindered and ungrieved Spirit of God. In that sort of kingdom, we become more aware of what the Spirit calls us to and what He empowers us to do as well. This is where grace kicks in. Grace has a twofold definition. Unmerited favor is the common one, which speaks of salvation by God's means, not ours. But when we couple that with divine enablement, we learn that salvation also fuels our ability to live out this type of righteousness. It's not merely imputed righteousness, but something additional, which is called implanted righteousness. When we consider righteousness in that light, we realize that Jesus wants us to crave a way of life that excels because salvation gives us power to live a whole different way. And finally, righteousness is spoken of with a social aspect. Throughout the Old Testament, we read of an expectation of social righteousness. The ancient Hebrews knew this well. There were regular reminders and sadly many rebukes regarding this. There was a call for promoting civil rights, for freeing oppressed people for an honorable judicial system for business integrity and honor in the home and family. And although the righteousness Jesus promoted was mainly of the moral kind, it is fair to suggest that in God's people, that hunger benefits the world around us as well. James chapter 1, verse 27 says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Martin Luther spoke of social righteousness and this beatitude like this, The command to you is not to crawl into a corner or into the desert, but to run out if that is where you have been, and to offer your hands and your feet and your whole body to wager everything you have and can do. In other words, in your appetite for righteousness, put yourself out there in the world and make it better as a result. So righteousness has a judicial or legal perspective. We can't hunger for that part. We simply receive this through faith. The grace of God makes this righteous state available to us through faith, not works. Then righteousness has a moral perspective. And I believe this is the focus of the beatitude, a hunger to live the empowered, righteous life that the kingdom offers. And it has a social perspective which when done right is simply a natural outflow of the first two. And then Jesus speaks of the result. Those that hunger for such righteousness will be filled. The idea of hunger and longing and filling is found all through the Psalms, in the songs that the first century Jews sung in their synagogues. The Jews knew that this was something that God could do. Psalm 84 verse 1 to 2 is one example. It says this, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. In Psalm 63 verse 1, David writes this, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. So there is hunger and there is thirst. And there is filling, and we see an example of this in Psalm 107. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west and north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for humankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Both the Greek and the Hebrew ideas of being filled refer to those who are satisfied and abundantly or well and truly full. It's the difference between a quick morning coffee to tide you over and a 400 gram steak with potatoes. There's a huge difference between the two. And the filling Jesus was speaking of here was not the coffee for breakfast variety. And like all things pertaining to the kingdom, there would again be a now and not yet aspect to this. In John chapter 6 verse 35, we read of the now idea in the words of Jesus. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. When we are made righteous and pursue righteousness, a satisfaction will come with that. If you're not experiencing that at this time, I would encourage you to look at your diet and what cravings you are seeking to fill and how. And there is a then aspect as well. We see this in places such as Revelation chapter 7. Let me read this to you. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple, and He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst, the sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center before the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness in all its fullness will be filled and satisfied in their spirits. That means now in their knowledge of Jesus, now in their restored relationship with the Father, and now since we have entered the kingdom through faith. And also in eternity, when the kingdom is fully realized on a renewed earth, there will be fullness of satisfaction forever in His presence. The world offers a high-carb, high-fat, MSG-laden way of life. It leaves us craving more and more, and then hating ourselves for indulging in it. Even our religious practices, if we're not careful, will offer us comfort food, which won't be as nutritious as what Jesus offers. This was certainly the case in the days of Jesus. Instead, we are to crave the righteousness that Jesus points to and be truly satisfied both now and in eternity. Friend, what are we craving within ourselves? What are we devoting our spiritual hunger to? We can partake in a lot of life's delicacies, but find out quickly that it's not the nourishing and enriching thing you first thought it was. There's a trend for fast food outlets to offer so-called healthy options. And we chuckle cynically at that because we all know that's not necessarily true. A sinful life offers enlightenment and quick fixes and even regret-free outcomes. Yet it never delivers on what it promises. A hunger for this sort of life will leave us unsatisfied in the long run and will always be craving more of the wrong things. But a hunger for righteousness does the exact opposite. It leads to satisfaction because it just works. And it leads to eternal satisfaction as well. Eternity in the kingdom seems like a pretty good thing to crave, if you ask me. One writer said that there is perhaps no greater secret of progress in Christian living than a healthy, hearty, spiritual appetite. And I believe we need to take stock of the things we have an appetite for and adjust those things if necessary. Every believer who repents and switches allegiance from the agenda of themselves and the world to the agenda of the kingdom of God should develop a craving for the things that this kingdom stands for. After all, you've realized your spiritual poverty, you've mourned your own state, you've put to death the old self, you've emptied yourself of your own power through the position of humility and meekness. That sort of salvation experience means that there is none of you left in there, and it's all Jesus. Having just enough Jesus to get by and get into eternity sounds great, And I'd say it's certainly theologically possible, but generally people who engage with faith in that surface-level way rarely go the distance because they haven't lost their appetite for the world, and then they wonder why they're not satisfied with Jesus. Imputed righteousness empowers us to live out implanted righteousness, and that's where the appetites change and the satisfaction and the filling comes in. And beyond that, the whole world benefits when that righteousness goes social as well. So let me ask you one big question. What do your cravings say about your faith? Friend, there is so much more to experience in a life of faith. So develop a craving for it. Crave the Word of God. Crave the time you can spend with Him. Crave the fellowship of believers. Crave the joy of seeing lives touched and transformed. Crave righteousness in all its fullness. Let me challenge you to scratch below the surface of what a righteous life is all about and see how satisfying and filling it can really be. Let's finish this time together with a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you for the righteousness that has been credited to me. Help me to lean into this and cling to this in faith. Please also help me to grow in my appetite for righteous living. I know now that I am saved for a purpose, and I choose to direct my cravings into all that you have for me. I also recognize the social aspect of this, and accept that this is an expression to aspire to as well. So help me to do this well, so that the world around me will benefit both from your righteousness in me and the righteous way of life that I am now empowered to live through your grace. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.